Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with our guest, Bill McCrane. Uh, Bill is a uh, businessman, consultant, and a recognized authority on peak performance, organizational turnaround, leadership, and personal development, and has been doing that for the last 35 years. Thanks for joining us today, Bill. Glad to be with you. Thank you, Mike. Good. Before we go on, what I'd like to do is tell everyone about who our guests are uh, that are coming up uh, on tomorrow's show. Friday, we're going to have Tom Haggerty from Ad Rogues, and Tom is going to talk about his special and different perspective on advertising uh, in this digital age. Uh, next week, we're going to have Tom Duggar with the Boy Scouts of America, and on Friday, we're going to have Bob Reedy, who is one of the founders of LSI, uh, a publicly held company in the lighting industry one of our larger employers, and Bob's got a great story to tell about how that company started and uh, the new directions that they're going in. Uh, A little bit more about Bill. Uh, Bill uh, works with achievers who've already achieved the peak of the success in their field, and Bill gets called in to help them solve critical problems or conquer new arenas. Uh, Bill's credentials include uh, a marketing degree from the University of Cincinnati, uh, exclusive training in the Disney development methods, and diplomas and certifications from more than 3,900 professional seminars you've attended. That's a lot of seminars, Bill. I'm a learnaholic. Learnaholic. Uh, we at Sandler do someplace between uh, uh, five and seven uh nationwide trainings a a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I put at least 11 days a year into my calendar for training, and I've gone to every one of them for the last uh, 20 years with two minor exceptions. So I understand training, and I see you do too. Bill's written uh, uh, more than a couple of books. How many books have you written now, Bill? Fifteen. Fifteen books. Yeah. Latest book I think you'll probably be talking about here today. The the book on questioning, it's called Just Ask. Since Sandler is a system about questions, and a lot of people have a weakness on asking questions, I thought it would be a a good topic to spend some time on during the show today. Uh, Bill currently serves as president of the McGrain Global. Bill currently serves as president of the McGrain Global Centers. He and his wife, Linda, have four children. Bill's a native Cincinnatian, but currently makes his home in northern Kentucky. Uh, Bill, why don't we start by you telling the folks how you got your start and and what this uh, McGrain uh, Global Centers really is. Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. I I think that one of the things that people are always interested in is the history of how we all get started. And in my case, my father and mother were really pioneers in the area of personal and professional development. And I would go when my father would be giving a speech to some organization. And eventually, 
over time, he said, would you like to do something? And at that point, I wasn't really too excited about that, about age 13, 14. Mm. But he turned me onto a book. He loved to learn. He was really a model of lifelong learning. And so he knew that I didn't like to read. And so he incentivized me by getting a uh, idea of how about if you read this book and I'll take you to your favorite restaurant and you can get whatever you'd like. So I said, you're on. I read the book, which was called I Dare You, written by um, William Danforth, the president of the Ralston Purina Company, who basically thought that young people weren't taught leadership skills. And so this was a book about preparing them to do that. And when I sat down to have this lunch with my father, my dad went from just being my father to me realizing that my father was really a mentor and had wisdom that he could share with me. And so then I'd give speaking engagements and seminars at age 21. My consulting business started. I was working with a company here in town called Baker Concrete Construction, which at that time had about five employees. And Dan Baker, who was the president uh said, you know, I don't know anything about running a business and developing my people. Could you help me do that? And so that's grown to thousands of people now. So we work with all kinds of organizations, privately held companies, uh, corporations of all sorts and size internationally. And um, we travel all over the world presenting our speeches, seminars, consulting, and our books and CDs and resources to basically help individuals be their best so that they can bring out the best in other people and the organization, the culture, the climate of the organization can be successful at whatever level they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So uh, how many uh, cities do you travel to in a year? Well, that varies depending upon the client um, and the kind of clients I have. Uh, right now, I'd say this year, so far, it's probably been about 25 cities and a couple countries that I've traveled to. Good. The Grain Institute. Do you have a regular schedule agenda, or is it just working with individual companies? Well, there's lots of different things. You you mentioned the name of our company is McGrain Institute. We Global are McGrain Center. Global Centers, but originally we were the McGrain Institute, which is still okay. People know us by both names. We do uh, we have a two day course that we do once a month called Making It Happen, which is everybody wants to make things happen. The issue is what's getting in the way of them being able to do that organizationally or individually. And then we also do a, another program called Move Into Your Greatness, which is giving people the skills and abilities to be able to, now that they're clear with themselves, how do they present their ideas to others? We teach them the sequence of persuasion, which is how to integratively invite other people to your ideas. You know, most people have an agenda, and the idea is to know your agenda well enough that you don't have to focus on your agenda that you can tune into the needs and the wants of other people and then help them create that as well. Another thing that we do in our in our in our monthly programs that we offer is is how do you create a climate of acceptance where an idea, uh, a method, a process, a new strategy that the organization or an individual might be trying to get across can create that climate where people are open to it because People are overwhelmed with so much information. Trust is low. People already have an idea of what they think you're already about, and they really aren't hearing you. And so our whole idea and the training that we do in those programs is to get people to the place that their comfort level, their self-esteem, the way they feel about themselves is integratively so good that they can stop being on their agenda and get on other people's agendas, which in my opinion is a great part of being a, an effective leader. Then we do speaking engagements, and those would vary. People, uh, organizations call us in either for their own company or their uh, associations that they may be a part of. And then we also do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do that literally all over the world, fortunately, because of the Internet and phones and Skype and all those things. We can mm -hmm. connect with people all over the world. And then we also do uh, individual mentoring. Uh, oftentimes, there will be situations where somebody needs to improve their presentation skills or they really don't know what's going on. They just have to figure out how are we going to get to the next level and they bring us in to do an organizational audit and then to implement that audit. It's one thing to tell people what to do, but it's another thing to show them how to do it, and we do both. Good. I'm going to throw a couple of questions at you. All right. Uh, Bill, you work with many organizations. 
how can a leader build trust in his organization and and get better results? Well, I think that trust begins within oneself. And I think a leader needs to look at themselves in a realistic perspective and ask themselves, do they trust themselves? And secondly, who do they trust as well? And oftentimes I find that many leaders have trust issues. Really, the best leaders don't. But those that are emerging in leadership haven't worked through their own issues. And as a result, that affects their ability to build trust with other people. One way to check that out is to go home and ask your wife or your children or your husband, what, how would you say, do I, am I a trusting person? And then how do you see me personally and professionally? And then go to two or three other people that are close to you that you trust their opinions and ask the same question. If you get an answer back, are they pause, or they hesitate, or you can kind of tell that they're just giving you the right answer that you'd like to hear, then that's probably a place where you need to begin. I think everybody has trust issues. And until you get through your own personal issues on that, it's very difficult for you to take your organization or your team of people to the next level. So if you were going to give someone instructions on a strategy to get someone else to trust them in five minutes, you only have five minutes with you, what would you tell them to do? Well, an example comes to me. Uh, I had a situation where a, a client called me and they were flying or they were driving from Newport, uh, uh, California over to visit with Lee Iacocca and he'd never met Lee Iacocca and he had to get a way to get him to be open to talking with him and so he had about two or three minutes and I said what most people do is they want to tell people what they know and that's the kiss of death the idea is to open up with a question so I suggested to him as I would really anyone as you're looking at who, if you're coming into somebody's office or you're meeting with someone, find something that you can build an instant rapport with and then use that in the form of a question. So in this case, I suggested he go up to Mr. Iacocca, which was at a lunch table, mm-hmm. and say, hello, Mr. Iacocca. Uh, my name is Russ. I, uh, You and I have not met. Uh, I'm here for another lunch, but I just wanted to thank you for all that you've done to make a difference in our planet, in the automotive industry. And by the way, here's the question. I'm just curious, of all the things that you are most satisfied and achievements that you've ever made, what's the most important one to you? You know you hit a home run with somebody when they say, you know, that's an interesting question. And so Mr. Iacocca answered the question by saying that my work in creating the Mustang was the most significant thing that I did but my now my work and the work on trying to clean up the environment and find environmental friendly products is really where I'm most passionate about. They ended up doing business together and built that rapport. Wow, that's good. A lot of uh, a lot of that uh, nurturing. It's a great question. Is right inside of Sandler uh, when we build reversing, uh, which is the art of answering a question with a question. It's always got to begin with a stroke. Great question. Glad you asked that. Um, I wanted to go back for a second. Uh, Bill, can you tell our audience a little bit about what you did with Disney? Well, I was hired by a uh, company here in our area who had large growth, and they had to quickly train a lot of people. And I knew because of my work way back, I was uh, trained by Mike Vance, who was hired by Roy Disney to follow Walt Disney around. And uh, Mike Vance's job was to be the people developer for all of Disney organization. And so this was before Orlando existed, and they were literally looking at just land, and Roy and Walt and Mike went down to kind of check everything out initially. And, And so I studied with Mike Vance and learned the Disney philosophies of how do you create a culture and include people in finding creative solutions to problems. And so I went to check this out for myself, but I found that this was a thing that I could really apply for a client. And then we used the storyboarding model, which is very simply being able to get the core team of people from a variety of areas of discipline, not all thinking the same, to come in a room together to solve whatever problem it would be. And it's been a really effective way of being able to help organizations to and, and really people to get excited about how do we solve problems in a way that's very creative. Okay, we're going to take a uh, short break here, Bill, and we'll be back in about uh, two minutes. 
Why do some business owners make lots of money while others endure years of mediocrity? Is it really the economy, the market, the weather, the competition? No. These are all called excuses which are always plentiful. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. As a business owner or part of a team, are you accepting excuses from your sales team because you make them yourself? Business winners succeed in spite of this trash. Business winners invest in themselves and their people. For over 15 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing your sales, call me at 513-646-6523. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. To find out how Sandler training can make you better, faster, and stronger, call 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth. Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523, or check our website at RothConsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Bill McGrain. Bill, if someone wanted to call you, get in touch with you after the show, how would they do that? They could give us a call at our phone number, which is 859-384-6333. Again, that's 859-384-6333. They could go to our website which is very simply mcgrain.com, M-C-G-R-A-N-E.com. Good. Bill, uh, how do you guys go to market with your services? You've been at this just for a couple of years. Just a couple of years. Four weeks, yeah. Yeah, over, what, 35, almost 40 years now. It's hard to believe. Uh, How we go to market? Yeah, do you have salespeople? Do you have telemarketing? Do you use direct mail? How do you go to market? We do all all the above. Most of our business comes from referrals, somebody who's done something with us before, or they talk to somebody and they realize, oh, yeah, McGrain could help you with that. Uh, We also use the Internet uh, greatly. We we do some online surveys Mm -hmm. that people can take that uh, help them do an audit of where they are with themselves, their relationships, their career, and their business. And then out of that... uh, People find out about us, but I'd say the majority, 85% of our client base comes from referral. Okay. And uh, as you look at the marketplace, the marketplace has been uh, spotty at best for a lot of people in small business. Uh, what do you see as the opportunities and possibilities out over the next two or three years? Well, I think it's an exciting time. I think that when people really look at what's going on in the marketplace, they can see that Oftentimes, what worked in the past isn't going to work today and in the mm-hmm. future. And so you have to reinvent yourself and reinvent your organization. Now, every organization is at different stages of that. And the key, if you're in a, in a position where you're trying to take yourself or your organization to the next level, is to identify those one to three big things that are most important. The problem, though, is, is the markets have changed. Maybe you haven't found the next you're an old niche that no longer works. And so part of the solution to that is to either talk to existing customers that you're working with and find out that they are or not wanting talking to people who you don't have any relationship with and stay fresh in new perspectives. One of the things that my father used to do with me that I never understood early on in my life was he would go to a magazine shop every Tuesday he would go. And so he invited me, and then he'd scan all types of industry magazines. He has offices downtown, and so I do that today. I want to create in a variety of areas because real growth typically takes place not in your industry, 
but by you going outside of your industry and looking at things that you typically wouldn't see. So I would encourage scan every type of magazine, have conversations with all kinds of people in a variety of areas. That will help you find your next niche. That's interesting because you never you never know what that next niche is going to be, and we have a really dynamic marketplace these days. Let me talk for a, a couple of minutes about uh, the way you see the relationship between self-image and self-esteem. We over here at Sandler, uh, Sandler uh, described attitude in a non-traditional method. He said, attitude equals the self of who you think you are as a person in your head plus your perception of your performance in your role, role as a salesperson or role as a company owner. Uh, how does the self-image and self-esteem, in your opinion, affect the way people perform in the job? Well, I think it's dramatic. Uh, self-image, by our definition, is an imitation or a mask that someone puts on. And that mask very often starts when we were kids. We learn to put a mask on with mom or dad or our brothers and sisters or eventually our friends and then at school and then our jobs. And so you've learned, many people might call those roles, but the mask that I'm talking about are facades. They're not really you. They're really protections that you've camouflaged to hopefully make yourself come across well to other people. But when you're with people who are really genuine and sincere, that self-image eventually implodes and really isn't a real person. It's a mask. It's a it's a game. And so the opposite of that is self-esteem. And our definition of self-esteem is the self-respect a person feels for themselves. Now, in the sales world, there are a lot of people who have what I call egos, which is they believe they're God's gift to the world. Big ego. And yes. they're trying to impress you with what they know or what they've achieved. And many leaders do that as well. I would call that self-image. They're really not grounded in themselves. And so they're trying to impress or let people know something about them. Well, when you have self-esteem, you don't have to do that. You don't waste your energy on that. You aren't focused on yourself because you want to take care of yourself so that you can sincerely be able to take care and serve other people. So that's on an individual level. On an organizational level, one of the things that we do is we take an audit of the organization's self-image or self-esteem. So how do you take an audit of an organization uh, and their self-esteem? Because that an organization is a, a company, is a mythical beast created by lawyers. Well, I'm talking about the people within an organization because the organization's really made up. The culture typically comes from the leadership and the people in it. One very simple way to look at that is to interview the people who work with the leaders or the leader, if it's a particular one, and see whether or not people can really be honest and sincere in their answers. Most leaders tell me that they really want to know what's going on. However, the way they respond back to their people tells them one of two things. Either it's safe to tell you the truth, or if I tell you the truth, you're going to take that out on me and I'll pay a price in some form. And so the climate can be very easily assessed as how safe is it to speak the truth here? Or do we have to camouflage it for whoever we're talking about? Self-image would be that we've got to find the right way to protect ourselves and present our message to the right audience. Self-esteem is we're safe to just say what needs to happen here. And really productive organizations, they don't waste their time in the self-image world because it, it truly is costing them many, many percentages of dollars in profit because most people are trying to do that PYA. They're trying to protect themselves instead of really being productive and focusing on results. So when you're self-esteem oriented, you are focused on results. When you're self-image oriented, you are focused on trying to cover yourself so that other people aren't getting ahead of you. There's the games that go on, the politics and all the above. So are you using an objective measure uh, test or profile to do yes, that? There, yes, we have both uh, tangible and intangible. You've got to look at both. Cause you can, and also, as you know, people can take surveys and they can, they've learned how to take surveys. But the other part is following that up with uh, conversations with people where they'll typically be more candid with you. And the combination is what we do to make that kind of an assessment. 
Okay, so that's something that uh, you've developed in-house? Yes. Good. Okay. Why don't we go go to a term that you've phrased called care fronting. Why don't you tell everyone what that means? Well, that's interesting you pick up on that, Mike. Most people in life have been confronted. Mm-hmm. You know, on an individual level, mom or dad or your spouse notices something you did or didn't do right and they confront you about it. Mm-hmm. And immediately what that does is put the person on edge. A lot of people in organizations like to use fear motivation to control people. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that only works for so long. And then mm-hmm. once people figure out the system, then they realize either to learn to work around the system mm-hmm. or to find an organization where people really, the climate is ac- acceptable to being honest and open. So care fronting, our definition of that, is caring enough to talk about the delicate subjects in a comfortable way that people still want to have a conversation with you. And a lot of leaders, i found, they take an authoritarian perspective or a control-based perspective that doesn't allow other people to tell them anything else other than what that leader already believes. I've met a few leaders like that in Cincinnati. And so when people are operating like that, you never get the truth. You get what you want to hear. And I believe that the forward-moving companies, the, the companies that are most profitable, most productive, and are going to go places in the future, are the ones that bypass all of that old-style leadership and look for congruency. And so carefronting is where instead of like performance reviews, which a lot of people are so afraid of doing those, so afraid of lawsuits, so afraid of being able to, you can't tell anybody anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you do it in a way that people want to know to get feedback? And that's where care fronting comes into it, is you're considering the message that you want to present to somebody and then giving it in a way that that person receives. And, and, and one tip that I can give people right now that they can use that, whatever the topic is that you know you've got to tell someone, maybe you've got to let some people go, maybe you've got a manager that's not performing, maybe you've got a, a, a wife or husband or a child that isn't doing what you'd like them to be doing. Well, the whole idea is what I call a love sandwich. Now, what does love have to do with business? I believe everyone wants to feel loved. They want to do it personally, and if they can do it professionally, that's a win-win situation. So love sandwiches is you take the subject that you're addressing. You first make it comfortable for that person to make them feel safe by affirming something good about them. Then the middle, which is the meat of the message, is the issue that you need to address with them. And instead of finding out what's wrong with them, you find a way to say, here's what I'm needing. We're, we're finding that the way in which you're interacting with people is causing them to not really tell us what's really going on. And what we need you to do is to open up conversation with people instead of shutting it down. And then the final piece is to affirm them again. So you affirm them. You The, the, the middle, the meat is the message. And then finally you affirm that person again. That's an example of care fronting, caring enough to talk about those delicate subjects in a way that people afterwards thank you for saying it. We literally have had people we've trained like this, Mike, that have after they've been fired, they've thanked them for the way that they handled that difficult situation. That's when you know you've really hit the home run, when somebody know, but most people know that it's difficult yeah, for people too. The first time I had to fire someone uh, that later called me back and said, Mike, thanks for letting me go. Wow. You changed my life forever. I'm a much better person today. Never would have happened had you just bit the bullet and not fired me. Yeah. And uh, I still stay in touch with that particular person. That's great. Bill, we're going to take a a short break here, and then we're going to get back, and we're going to be talking a little bit more with Bill Uh, about how to deal with difficult people. Company owners and sales managers, are you tired of cutting your price to get the deal? Wouldn't you like to have a better way? Wouldn't you want to improve your margins? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 to see if there's a better way for you.
Hi, I'm Rich Gorman with Sandler Rule number 22. Only give a presentation for the kill. A skilled hunter knows how to track his prey cautiously and patiently and waits for the exact moment to fire his shot. He waits to make sure that his prized target is lined squarely in the crosshairs of his scope before pulling the trigger. As salespeople, our process should be very similar. We have a responsibility to make sure we know exactly what that prospect's needs and wants are and how our product or service can fulfill them. We also need to know exactly how much the prospect is willing to commit in terms of time, resources, and money to solving their problem. And we need to know the decision-making process that the prospect is going to go through in order to evaluate our product. And probably most importantly, we need to let the prospect know that we expect a decision at the end of our presentation. Only once we have a fully qualified prospect do we fire our kill shot and deliver the presentation. I'm Rich Gorman with Sandler Rule number 22. Only give a presentation for the kill. Mike Roth, I'm back with uh, Bill McGrain. Bill, in your work with companies and individuals, uh, maybe in, in two minutes or less, how do you deal with difficult people, whether it be employee, uh, employees, fellow employees, uh, customers, or prospects? Well, the most what what people who are when they're difficult, what they're really saying is that there's they're not comfortable. And so they're behaving in a way, either learned or just emerged, that they're not comfortable. So the whole idea is how do you help them be comfortable? And typically to do that, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable to get to be comfortable. And one of the ways that I encourage people to do that is to simply look at a three-step process. What do I need from you? I need you to cooperate with other people. What do I want you to do? I want you to interact with people in a way that allows their best to come out. And would you be willing to do that for me? So what I encourage people to do is to do a three-step process to identify what they need, what's vital to be done with that person, what do they want them to do, the how-to of how they'll do it, and then third, ask for confirmation. Because oftentimes people might say they agree, but they're not actually going to do anything about it. Then ask those questions of those people, and then finally, if they say, well, I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to do that, then you ask the final question is, well, okay, what would you be willing to do? If you're not willing to do that, what would you be willing to do? Because there's always a way to find a way to get agreement. Sometimes agreement may be to agree to disagree, and then at that point you make a decision whether or not you continue with that person or have them on that project. Sometimes you got to go to tough love to to care front that person, and oftentimes they respect you more because you're willing to have those difficult conversations with them. And difficult conversations are sometimes difficult for both people. Absolutely. Okay. And in the end, sometimes people who are difficult get fired. Yes. Uh, and sometimes you can you can turn them around. Uh, let me uh, ask a, a a different kind of question. Let's 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 talk for uh, a few minutes about. Your most current book, I guess, Just Ask, is the most current book. Yes. You talk about asking questions. Yes. Uh, Sandler, in the sell our selling system, teaches people how to ask a whole series of different questions. And uh, in your book, one of my, one of the things I was uh, most surprised was when you talked about Columbo. Oh. You may have noticed the, the large picture of Columbo in our training center. Yes because he is the most not-okay detective out there, wearing the raincoat in L.A. when it never rains, when he's outside, not wearing the raincoat, but inside the suspect's office or home, wearing the crumpled old raincoat, going not-okay on purpose. First, why don't you uh, give us your take on the importance of questions and questioning? Well, if you just notice in your day, how many people make statements versus ask questions? 
you'll find that most people just make statements. And I say statements kill communication. When you're in a difficult situation... Have you ever seen that old Victor Borger routine? Not sure which one you're talking about. Uh, audible punctuation? No. When you end a sentence with a period, it should go... And when it ends in a question mark, it goes... <laughs> That's great. You've never seen that? No, that would be good to see. <laughs> I, I strongly recommend you can get it on on YouTube. There are various versions of it. But uh, what Victor Borger does is he reads a story, and he does the uh, the quotation marks. Oh, yes, I have seen that. Yes. Hilarious it is, stuff. It is hysterical. And I like to ask salespeople, did you hear a question mark? Or did you hear a period? There you go. Because you can't reverse a statement easily. Yes. But a question, that's fantastic. Well, when people when people experience the difference in a question, most people love to talk. Most people love to have their opinions asked. And so instead of taking whatever it is that you want to say, ask a question. If a manager or leader finds themselves dealing in a difficult situation with people, take whatever you want to do, write it down, whatever goal or thing you're trying to get accomplished through people is to say a question. And and in the Just Ask book, what I've done in the back of it is I've given people what I call STEM questions. And a STEM is the beginning of of a question that you can use in a variety of situations. The problem is most people can't think on their feet in those particular moments So it helps them if they have a script of questions already prepared in their mind. So when they're in that situation, they can just spontaneously recall, oh, yeah, what would need to exist? For example, that's a STEM. What would need to exist for us to find a solution to this? What would need to exist for us to get along better? What would need to exist for us to be able to create trust in the organization? What would need to exist for us to take our organization to a whole other level? So that beginning STEM opens up for people to then use it in a variety of situations. I noticed in the book you had literally hundreds of questions put in there, uh, many of which were adaptable. Yes. Most people find it difficult because we live in a statement-oriented society to know what questions to ask. So that was the one thing that people asked me to do. And so we, we wrote them up in a variety of situations, personal, relational, organizational. And by the way, The place to begin with questions that most people think of is not with others. You need to learn to ask yourself questions. So, for example, the great tool of the art of asking questions is what's the issues that you're dealing with today that you need solutions to today? Write them down in the form of a question. And then by going through your day, I predict that you will find answers will come along the way to get answers to those questions for you. It's a very powerful tool. But if you don't know the right question to ask, you're in trouble. Well, how many companies today have made decisions and gone in directions because they didn't ask all the right questions? And millions and billions and trillions of dollars have been lost because they didn't ask the key questions or they were afraid to. See, that's they asked them. They didn't like the answer. Take a look at BlackBerry. Five years ago, they owned probably a 50% share of uh, market for personal communications devices. Today, they probably have a sliver of of the market, less than 10%. Well, and if you look at those kinds of chaotic moments in in business, it often happens with a leader who was operating from a self-image, not a self-esteem, who thought they had the answers, who were probably a dictator in their own way and thought they knew better and they didn't pay attention to the market. They were preoccupied with their own agendas instead of being attentive to other people's agendas. And that happens everywhere. And, and, you know, these principles oftentimes are very simple, but they're very powerful. And all you need to use is one or two of them, and you're going to stand out more effective than most people. Mm -hmm. You know, it kind of uh, reminded me of the the BlackBerry example of the Titanic. They knew they had to be able to have that ship turn. And they used old technology, yeah, a rudder at the back of the ship. And they didn't realize they could put something else on there. They couldn't put a propeller at the front to go left or right. Big problem. Took many years for 
designers to implement it and owners to be willing to pay for it. But if you don't turn the ship, sometimes sink ships. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think BlackBerry has a bigger chance of going under than Nokia, yeah. although they both have low probabilities of success. Well, you know, a lot of times people want to talk, and you're better to do a lot of listening. And as a leader, if you're taking time to at least practically spend half your time, I'd say most leaders are going to spend 30% of the time talking and 70% leading, you're going to hit a Almost lot of winners. like you read a Sandler book there. That's Sandler's rule. So mm. He calls it the 70-30 rule. Well, you know I'm, I'm a, a, a graduate, so it's all in me. Okay. When did you take Sandler training? Oh, I think 1976. Okay. You remember who taught it? You asked me that. I don't recall. It was a man, and I just don't recall. Here in Cincinnati? Uh-huh. Yes, University of Cincinnati, I took it. Okay. That's where I'm a graduate from. Well, I can only guess on Jack Jack Ramsey. Yeah, it might have been. He's uh, still in the Cincinnati Rotary Club. Uh, let me ask you one more question before we take a another break. Uh, tell me what you mean by the inner game of success. A long time ago, I read a book called The Inner Game of Tennis to help my tennis game. Uh, didn't help the game much, <laughs> but it was a terribly interesting book. Uh, what do you mean by the inner game of success, Bill? Well, if you look, you know, the Olympics just took place, and you look at anyone who's at the top of their game, you realize that the success, whether it's playing golf, a sport, business, relationships, it all begins on the inside. Most people just see the outside result. And the inner game of success is knowing who you are, knowing what you're about, so that when you're presenting whatever it is that you're offering, that there's integrity in what you're sharing. Because when you're persuading or influencing people, it's not as much what you're saying as how you're saying it and the intention behind it. So people pick up what I call your vibrational energy. And they're they're sensing you in the, in the first three to five seconds. Are they trustable? Are they credible? Can I believe them? Do you think they could help me? And all of those are what I call the invisible motivators. And so once you are clear with your own inner success, then you're able to help others be successful. And it's not always about you. And the, the true leaders are those that evolve past their own agendas and they see a bigger agenda. And you could do that at whatever level, as an employee, as a dad, as a mom, as a leader, as a manager, as a CEO. And and those organizations and those people who've learned the inner game of success, they don't allow there, – there are always solutions to the obstacles because they've learned the patterns for lifetime success. That's what the inner game of success is all about. And really in everything that we teach in our programs, is, it's really all about teaching people how to be successful on the inside so they can have that on the outside. Good. Well, we're going to take a uh, another short break. We'll be back in about a minute. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits, and believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners, and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner, and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523 or register for our next open house. Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net. Imagine you just left your prospect's office and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. 
For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. This is Mike, and I'm back here with uh, Bill McGrain. Bill, we were talking about questions uh, before the break, so let's continue down that uh, that same road. Is that okay? Sounds great. What do you mean by the 10 most powerful questions someone can ask? You know, when you're meeting someone, let's say in a social situation or at a business networking event, oftentimes there's a lull in the conversation, and people don't know what to say or do I move on to the next person and Maybe you're with somebody that you'd really like to keep having a conversation with, but you don't know what to do. Well, the 10 questions is to make a list of the 10 most interesting questions that would cause anybody to want to interact with you. So let's say you're going to an event and there are two or three people that you want to make sure that you meet, but you've never met them before, and you need to capture some way of causing them to want to have a conversation with you. I was in a situation where I was in an event like that. I was invited to have dinner with Rudy Giuliani and the past mayor of New York City. And I was asked simply because they wanted me to ask interesting questions of Rudy. Mm -hmm. And so there were about 10 or 12 people at this dinner. And afterwards, they said, now anybody can ask ask any questions that they'd like. And nobody had any questions for them. And I waited for just a minute or two, and the lull came. You know, it's so quiet. Sure. People get nervous. And then I asked Mr. Giuliani, I said, you know, you've done a lot of things. I want to thank you for the impact that you've made on so many people and how you've handled a lot of situations. But I know recently you've gone through some personal traumas and some issues. What have you found have been the greatest tools that help you get through those difficult times? And he looked at me, and he said, that is a great question. And he went on for 15 minutes. And afterwards, he said, could we continue this? And we had pictures together and talked. And So you want to make an impact on people. And those 10 questions that I'm talking about is if they get a copy of my book, just ask it to give them a, a long list of what those could be. But come up with 10 questions that whenever you're in any situation, whether you're meeting the president of your com- company or the president of the United States or some leader of whatever it would be that would be important to you, you're not sitting quietly that you can ask a question. And how oftentimes do you go to a meeting? You talk about Rotary. Typically, they'll have speakers and people will ask, does anybody have any questions? Mm. And most people don't know what to ask. Well, you can set yourself apart by asking that right question that causes everybody to sit up and say, well, I want to hear the answer to that. That's what those 10 questions are all about. Good. But I... I I'm a member of the downtown Rotary Bill, and you're invited to come down as my guest any Thursday at lunchtime. Well, thank you. Uh, one of the interesting uh, problems that we have had over the years is sometimes uh, someone who's getting up in his years or, or her years will get up and ask a question that's a rambling monstrosity. Yes. It's it's poor. It would almost be better to have a seed question. And what you seem to be suggesting is that in your own mind, you create your own script of questions that you can choose from at the appropriate time. Yes, and I recommend, Mike, that people make their questions seven words or less because the longer the question, the harder it is for a person to be able to know what the question is. And so you want to tighten up your questions so that people can easily answer it. Right, and in Sandler we talk about using open-ended questions, questions that do not begin with a verb. For salespeople, it's better when you say it that way. Absolutely. Who, what, when, where, how, why, which. Yes. Tell me. You know, most people love to be asked questions. And and the most powerful part of any relationship that I believe most people miss today that works in personal business relationships is practice the skill of affirmation. That is finding someone something that you can compliment someone on and genuinely appreciate them about it. Just the other day, I was talking to a, a businessman, and I left him a message. I said, I, I'm, I'm calling to leave you a message. I want to love on you. Call me back. 
And within a minute, he called me back. He says, man, I've never had anybody ever say that to me before. I want to find out what you're going to tell me. And I was just finding very specific things. That's one of the things you want to do is be specific. I guess I'd feel uncomfortable saying that because of the uh, gay community. Ah, well, that could be. But in this case, he understood where I was going with it. The, The point I want to make to your people is when you ask a question, you can also do it in a way that affirms a person. And when you compliment a person in a genuine way, it changes relationships dramatically. Try it. Try it with somebody at home. Try it with your spouse. Try it with your children. Try it with the people you work with. Very simple, but very powerful. So this is what Sandler would say is a nurturing statement. Absolutely. You want to find a way to bring out the best in others. Everybody's being criticized and condemned. Most people are, are hurting on the inside. And mm-hmm. anything that you can do to make them more comfortable, genuinely, I'm not talking about just you know saying things to say things, but sincerely from your heart and mind to them makes all the difference in the world. How many times have you seen a note that was written to you or someone appreciated you? People still keep those things. How come? Because people are dying to be appreciated. Everyone is stroke-deprived in America. Yes, I believe so. And uh, there have been several writers who've written uh, whole sales programs uh, just about nurturing. Uh, I'll just pick on uh, Jim Cecil. Yeah. And Sandler said nurture, nurture, nurture was one of the most important rules in the Sandler selling system. In in your business, being with uh, CEOs of, of companies around the world, uh what do you find is the easiest way to get inside the mind of a CEO? Well, first time you talk to them. If you're going into their office for the first time, what I would suggest is that you just look around and find what I call that hot button. Everybody has a hot button or several hot buttons. And as I'm in your office now, I'm looking around and I'm seeing many, many topics of conversation that we could have. Like one of the questions that I'd like to ask you is of all the books you've ever read, what book if you had to only take out one book before a fire happened in here, what would you take with you? So what you do is you find that topic that people are excited about. It might be pictures that they have. It might be an award that they had. It might be a piece of art. But find that thing that you can immediately start a conversation around. And I suggest that it not always be about business. It might start out relational first so that you can build rapport with them. Now, the part of it is to read the audience that you're with. And so some CEOs want to get right down to business right away, and they might say to you, so what can I do for you? So you know they're going to be wanting you to get right into it. But after they're more comfortable, then you can maybe come back to those personal or more interesting topics and find out, again, sense what the environment is, and then find a way to build rapport by, again, asking a simple question. What is it that you're excited about today? What would you like to know from me today? How can I support you? what issues are you dealing with that you need solutions to in the near future? Mm-hmm. Those are all good openings. And, and you know, back to the uh, getting inside the personal mind space of, of a prospect, uh, sometimes prospects put booby traps in their offices, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Um, many times I've tripped over the booby trap of the picture, yeah, uh, and a prospect says, "Oh yeah," when I say hey, it's a nice looking family in the picture, and the guy says, "Oh yeah, I picked up the frame last week at Walmart and haven't had a chance to take the, <laughs> the picture that came out with it." So it kind of traps your booby trap. Well, you know, the other thing is to lighten people up. People are so serious today that they need to find levity, or they're looking for levity. And one of the great questions that is very easy to ask people is. You know, before we get started talking about business today, could you tell me how you got where you are today? I did that once. I had a seven-hour conversation with one CEO, and no, no one's ever asked me a question like that. Oh, wasn't that the question at the beginning of today's show? Yeah. How Absolutely. did you get here? Absolutely. And you told me about your dad, and I didn't even know your dad was in the same business you are. Yeah. Um, so when you ask good questions, you get a lot of information. Yes. And information is the key to closing 
more business. In fact, the more the more questions you ask, the more likely you are to get the business. And the more intelligent your questions, the more you're telling your your prospect that you know your business. Yes. I find that many times people think that they have to talk a lot in sales. And one of the things that I think is most important is you can let your client know or your customer know how much you know by the way you ask your questions, which tells them without you telling them you know what you're talking about. Simple little things that you pick up about their area, their industry, something that might be the inner lingo that you could say that if you know that they're accounting oriented. So are you looking for something that gets to the bottom line and gives your profit and loss ratios to a higher place than before? That languaging might be attractive to a person who's financially oriented. Right. We, uh, I was working to, earlier today with a uh, 23-year-old sales rep, new at the company, doesn't know everything about the product, the product line. And she's been smart enough to ask a few questions, which caused a lot of people to talk. And she's got an extremely high closing ratio because she's asking questions. She doesn't have the product knowledge today to spill all her candy in the lobby. Well, as you've heard that statement, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when people sincerely can tell that you have their best interests in mind, they're going to go out of their way to do business with you. Quite true, quite true. Why don't uh, I ask you one of my favorite questions, uh, Bill? You've been in business for over 35 years, fair? Yes. Good. We have a a philosophy here that simple solutions to complex problems are almost invariably wrong. So maybe you could share with our listeners a complex problem that you created a complex solution for from a theory of operation perspective they could do. Well, oftentimes people find themselves in precarious situations where they're having. When a person finds themselves in that kind of precarious situation, one of the things that works is simplifying the complex. Because what is simple, people can easily do something with. And so when you're in a situation where you're wanting some action to happen, in your mind, I would suggest you ask yourself the question, what's the next step? What's my next step? What would I like their next step to be? So you take whatever the complexity of the project or the strategy or the sales process or whatever it is that you're working on, and you have to take the big picture approach, which is what's the simple next step that I would like people to take. When you can make it that simple, then the complex becomes easy for people to do. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I believe people like, most of the time, easy and simple with less risk and most comfortable as possible. And so if you make that next step or suggest a next step, then that will be easy for them to take action. If you're not sure, you simply ask the question, what do you think would be the next step for us to do here today? And if they don't know, then you'd say, give them some choices. Would you like me to get back with you? You want to get back with me? Uh, here's a process that I think would go. Does that make sense to you? And if you're making a statement, then end it with a question. So if the statement is, I think that it'd be good for us to go forward on this, how do you feel about that? That's the statement. Then in asking with a question, ending with a question. That's good. Bill? I want to thank you for coming to visit with us here today. I hope everyone got some uh, good insights as to how you think and how you run your business. Again, give them a phone number to get a hold of you, Bill, if they have a question. They can reach me at 859-384-6333. Or if they go to McGrain.com, there's a survey that I have on there that they can take. It's free. It will help them check out where they are with themselves, their relationships, and their career. That's, again, at McGrain, M-C-G-R-A-N-E.com. That's good, Bill. And as a gift for, th- for coming on the show today, I want to give you a copy of uh, Sandler's newest best-selling book, The Sandler Success Principles. That's 11 
Success Principles. That book was released uh, at the end of uh, April. Immediately shot to the number one position for business uh, sales books on Amazon.com and then got picked up by the Wall Street Journal. Awesome. Number Thank one you so bestseller. much. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Bill, uh, again, thanks for, uh, for coming in today. Scott, why don't you uh, take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.